This is Unfilter, episode 168 for December 2nd, 2015. A lot of headlines coming as far as this fallout from the drama in the skies over Syria after Turkey shot down a Russian fighter jet. Hello, everybody. I'm Jenna Lee. And I'm John Scott. Russia's President Vladimir Putin blasting Turkey, calling its decision to down a Russian warplane a, quote, stab in the back and warning the incident would have significant consequences. to Unfilter episode 168 of Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show that's really trying to distract you from all of that news you shouldn't be watching. My name is Chris, and today I feel like that is more true than ever. We have news breaking as we're recording this episode. This really is your veggies of the week. It is getting so awful out there. There's so much crap going on in the world. I don't want you to watch the news anymore. Unfilter is watching the news so you don't have to. That is legit. I'm making that official right here because this week we have major things going on and I I wouldn't want you to have to follow all of it. It's just too crazy. As we're recording this show, there is a manhunt in progress because of a multiple multiple person uh, shooting 14 dead as we record right now. More than that injured. Then we're going to get into some cyber terrorism stuff. Oh yes, I said cyber. And no, I don't mean the dirty kind. And then we've been talking about it for weeks, but it's actually busting wide out into the open. The intelligence that's been going to the White House about ISIS has been getting altered. Now I have a theory as to why, and I don't think it's because of President Obama's election, but we're going to talk about that. Then the general update on the terror situation, including Turkey shooting down one of Russia's jets the fallout from that, and some of the really interesting details that are now developing in France between France and Moscow. And then before we get out of here, we've got to talk about, we got it, well, first, we got to talk about Hillary, but we'll get, toward, we'll get to that towards the end of the show. I haven't talked about her for a few weeks, and there's actually some legit stuff, including a CNN journalist being manipulated by the State Department. Uh, we've got more official, uh, we've got more special forces, I should say, going to Iraq and Syria. We'll be talking about that today. And... Um, I love the audio that we have from a representative out of Hawaii that we mentioned last week. And it is golden. It is good stuff. And it is, it's, about, it's about the U.S.'s obsession with taking Assad out of power. And now we've got to stop. And it calls out the CIA for what they've been doing on the ground. I mean, it is a golden, golden set of audio. So we'll be playing that today, too. But before we go too much further, let's talk about this act of manhunt and shooting that happened today. Preliminary information indicates that these are people that came prepared, uh, that they were, were, they were dressed in and equipped in a way to indicate that they were prepared, and they, had, they were armed with long guns, not handguns. The only thing I'm comfortable saying at this point is that the information we have is that they came prepared to do what they did as if they were on a mission. As the teams were going through and searching, searching for the suspects and searching for victims, there were some things in the building that were not immediately identifiable that caused them some concern. As a result of that, we do have some BIME techs that are on site that are checking some of that out. I do not know if they were brought in by the suspects. We do not know if they are bombs of any sort. Just simply things that, as our teams were moving through, said that needs to be looked at a little bit more closely. No render safes at this point. They haven't taken anything apart and destroyed anything. I don't have any information on that. All right, so that was sort of the lack of information we've been getting as we go on air. Uh, then there was also the fact that three men were seen leaving uh, the scene in a black SUV. Well, the reason that uh, police think that there may have been as many as three people involved in this shooting is that a source, uh, several sources actually, uh, um, Witnesses told police that they saw three men, and uh, apparently the suspects got into a black SUV and then exited the parking lot. Uh, Now, the sheriff's bomb squad found a a suspicious package on the second floor when a SWAT team was clearing the building. And so right now you've got a bomb squad. <clears throat> they went in there and they cleared up the uh, the package. They had it disassembled. There wasn't really much any. There really wasn't much to it. Uh, it seems like it was maybe just a abundance of precaution. Now, right now, uh, oh my gosh, it's Anderson Cooper! Everybody. As we record, Anderson Cooper is on the air right now. I'm going to tune into the CNN stream live. This is not to say that this is that kind of an attack. And right now, a lot of the federal uh, authorities are sort of pushing back and saying, you know, that everybody is investigating this. But yes, 
that all that will will yield clues who rented the vehicle where the vehicle is from when it was rented uh, the identity of the, of the driver the identity whether there were any other people who were renting. So they're still awaiting the latest press conference which keeps getting delayed so at this point uh, as we're recording the show we know that 14 are dead 17 are injured and i believe two of the shooters are now killed two suspects in the shootout are dead um, we think maybe on the, who's on the run is the original driver of the SUV at this point. So this story is developing as your Unfilter show is being recorded this week. We don't have much more than that at the moment. I'll keep an eye on the feeds as we get into the show for you guys. But uh, that is something that happened uh, today as I was actually driving into the studio to do this show. Uh, the other big story this week, we've talked about it since Edward Snowden became a thing. The NSA's bulk collection of phone metadata. It comes to an end. It's finally over. Something like that, actually. Hold on a second. Oh, I got to play this clip over again because I had it muted from the CNN feed. So as you know, as you are well aware, the... Here we go. Here we go. Oh, sorry. No video. There we go. Meanwhile, the radical Islamic terrorists have struck at the very heart of the West. Here in our country, the NSA putting an end to its bulk collection of Americans' telephone records. I like that. So taking the Paris attacks, the terrorists have struck right at the heart of Western society. And in the shadow of this recent tragedy, the NSA metadata collection is being ended. The government says it is now moving to a more focused approach, they say, of trying to gather the intel on terror suspects. That shift, of course, coming more than two years after the details of the program were first leaked and made public by the former NSA contractor, Edward Snowden. So really what's working, the way it works now is all of the same information is being collected. It's just being collected directly by the telcos. Some of the people charged with protecting your safety are without a tool that they say helped French officials track down the perpetrators of the Paris terror attack. I want to, I want to say it again. The data is still being collected. And in a case of emergency, they get immediate access. They don't have to get permission. But if it's not a case of an emergency, they go get a warrant from a judge. And then once they have a warrant, they have access to the metadata. It's all, they have a history. It's all still being collected. Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Harridge tells us about the end, for now, at least, of the NSA's phone data collection program. New legislation forced the NSA to end its bulk collection of Americans' phone records. The post-9-11 program tracked terrorist suspects using so-called metadata. It captures who you're calling, the length of conversation, but not the content. After the Paris terror attacks where the suspects used encrypted communications, the chairman of the Senate... Wait, 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 no. No, they used text messages. That encrypted communications was walked back. But you see, this is what I love about uh, reporting these days, is we don't do follow-ups and corrections. If we reported it that way, that's the way it is. And there's no reason to touch that up, because that would that would modify the narrative a little bit in a direction that would not work so well for us. So we just stick with this. Yeah, Catherine, I guarantee you, Catherine Heritage is very well aware that it came out that the suspects were using text messages, and that the suspects' phones were just available for the cops to get access to once they got there. And it wasn't metadata that tipped them off. It was a caller. A caller tipped them off. But not the content. After the Paris terror attacks where the suspects used encrypted communications, the chairman of the Senate Intelligence Committee told Fox News Sunday that limiting the NSA comes with a cost. The United States uh, made a real mistake when they eliminated this program where we could search foreign known terrorist telephone numbers to see if they had talked to anybody in the United States. Now, why is he talking like that? The program is not eliminated. All of the data is still being collected. All of the data is still being collected. Your calls are still being collected. All of that metadata is being collected. The NSA surveillance program became the poster child for government overreach in 2013 after this misleading statement to Congress. Does the NSA collect any type of data at all on millions or hundreds of millions of Americans? No, sir. It does not. Not wittingly. In documents leaked by former contractor Edward Snowden left no doubt the NSA was collecting on Americans. Under new rules, phone records are still gathered, but now held by the phone companies. Thank you. See, it's nice you actually put that in there. Requiring court action for a government search of the database. A former intelligence officer says the extra step makes disrupting plots that much harder. But in the case of emergency, there is no extra step. When you can look at the patterns of the support networks, that's where people trip up. If you don't have their entire history, then you're going to miss the fact that they were up to suspicious activities, downloading certain types of videos, maybe looking at how to build bombs. Longtime NSA opponents say a more targeted program. Wait a minute, that's not phone metadata. Hold on. 
Hold on, hold on. Back that up. How does that support what she's saying? That's not phone metadata. Disrupting plots that much harder. When you can look at the patterns of the support networks, that's where people trip up. If you okay. don't have their entire history, then you're going to miss the fact that okay. they were up to suspicious activities. So you need their entire history. All right. Okay. So what is that? Downloading certain types of videos, uh-huh. maybe looking at how to build bombs. Long time. That is not phone metadata. <laughs> NSA opponents say a more targeted program is the right approach because even in Paris, investigators were struggling to determine which leads to pursue in a mountain of data. They talk about overload through, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, be, uh, being done by this mass data collection and that they call. This is William Biney, a former NSA intelligence officer. He was one of the first whistleblowers about mass data collection. This mass data collection and that they call it analysis paralysis. Other bulk collection programs remain in place, including one called PRISM, which collects Internet data but has been less controversial because it's not directly focused on domestic targets. That said, PRISM is reported to be a primary source of raw intelligence for the NSA. I really, really respect that she put that in there. She didn't have to. I don't think she had to put that in the report. And this is the crux of the problem with the metadata program. You could completely end the metadata program. You could make sure the telecos don't keep any records. But they want to keep records for marketing reasons anyways, guys. But you could, you know, they could remove all record tracking and it would not matter because you have all the Internet. They collect three days of the Internet in real time by splitting fiber optic optic cables. That's why the program is called PRISM because they actually put a PRISM in there to beep, beep, split the light. And they do a three day buffer of the entire Internet. Then they use programs to go through there and sift that out and store all the important bits, you know, things that are encrypted or things that terrorists sent or people on watch groups, that automatically gets pulled out and the buffer is a rolling three-day buffer. They have everything that went over an IP network over the internet. Just on domestic targets, that said PRISM is reported to be a primary source of raw intelligence for the NSA. Shannon. Boom. Boom. In fact, that is ex- the exact little loophole that has allowed the NSA to continue email surveillance, even though they said they ended that years ago. We begin today with new NSA secrets exposed. Back when Snowden released all those documents revealing the extent of the National Security Agency's spying on Americans, the intelligence agency consistently claimed it ended its bulk email collection program back in 2011, which was largely true. But according to new documents, that program was only ended because the NSA was collecting that data elsewhere. RT correspondent Anya Parmpel explains. The ultimate loophole that we have speculated about on this show for two years now is the Five Eye partners are all spying on each other's citizens. They're watching each other's citizens because it's a loophole where there's a law that says you can't do that. So like here in the U.S. of A. Also, if you recall, according to the Snowden leaks, there is a raw intelligence feed sent to Israel that does not remove any identifying information, does not have any selectors applied to it. It is a 100% raw feed that is sent to the Israeli intelligence uh, officials. That's in the Snowden leaks. That's Another thing in the Snowden leaks is GCHQ and NSA and the French uh, intelligence all work very, very, very closely, and they exchange notes with each other on things. The documents were obtained by the New York Times through a Freedom of Information Act or FOIA request and include a list of four reasons the NSA decided to end its bulk email collection program. Now, three of those reasons were redacted. However, the fourth reason causes great concern for privacy advocates. As the documents reveal, apparently other authorities were able to satisfy certain foreign intelligence requirements that the bulk email records program had been designed to meet. In other words, the NSA didn't need its own domestic email collection program because it could collect that data legally through other means. One route is through data the NSA collects on American citizens in foreign countries. The trick is that since the web is worldwide, domestic data can actually be collected abroad, where the NSA is not bound to the regulations of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. The other is through the FISA Amendments Act of 2008, which allows warrantless surveillance on U.S. soil as long as the target is a non-citizen abroad. However, through such surveillance, the NSA can access emails to or from American citizens, demonstrating yet another loophole. As national security expert and investigative reporter for EmptyWheel.net, Marcy Wheeler writes, it's actually clear there are several reasons why the current plan is better for the government than the previous dragnet. 
because the alternatives provided far more than the domestic internet did, which just goes to show you NSA reforms may not always be what they seem. In Washington, Anya Parampil, RT. Exactly. Exactly. And I want to do a little breakdown with you guys because there's been a lot of talk about encryption uh, after the Paris attacks, even though we know they were using SMS, still comes up a lot. The boogeyman. agencies are frustrated that terrorists can benefit from secret communications because they are so well encrypted on particularly Google Android phones and on Apple iPhones. You'll remember Edward Snowden's revelations about U.S. spying prompted changes across the whole tech industry. Communications and clouds are now locked down. Imagine if that wasn't the case. Like, take this argument about encrypted cell phones and encrypted communications and set it aside and conceptually think about, on the verge of 2016, where we would be with Chinese and Iranian and ISIS hackers that are constantly attacking the American cyber grid and constantly threatening businesses. Also, have you noticed how all of the cyber attack news has sort of died down since CISA was signed? Like that was maybe manufactured for consent? Something to think about. But we've been told now for years that we are behind the curve on cyber. You have APT1 over in China constantly attacking us. Could you imagine if all of us citizens were walking around without any protection? All of our data out there unencrypted for, to be fully exploitable by these people. Could you imagine how rampant identity theft would be if every transaction on Amazon.com was over HTTP? Online banking, all of it. Could you, if if you if they actually had their way, and and these evil companies, and man, you are not going to believe how evil they make these guys sound. You you got to stay tuned for that. If they, if they, if these evil companies, these private evil companies, hadn't gone off and made these independent decisions, we would all be massively vulnerable, massively vulnerable. So their their entire argument, if you just flip it around and actually grant them what they're asking for, and not have these companies lock it down. It would we would have rampant identity theft, so much cyber theft. It would be it would be exactly what they're always warning us of. Uh, it's, it's, it's so ironic that the very thing they're constantly afraid of would be made so much easier if we dropped encryption. And phones are encrypted as well. So you start off with locks on both phones and in the cloud. Woo! Now, with older operating systems, customers and companies were able to access their devices. Here is actually some truth to what he's saying. He's saying it like a dumbass. So here's the way it works. If you have iOS 7 or earlier, there is a high probability that Apple could compromise the device and get access to your operating system and your file system. If you have iOS 7 or earlier. So about 10% of iPhone users, maybe less. On the Android side, I believe Google said if you have anything below Android 5.0, they can, they can get a backdoor to it. Now, he will mention several times that Google and Android are encrypting their devices. Very few Android devices are actually shipping with encryption turned on. Primarily, like the biggest one would be the Android 6P, uh, the Nexus 6P with Android Marshmallow. But there's like, Sam, like my Samsung device. There's other devices out there that have it. But it is not like it is not it is not comparable to iOS, where every single iOS device since iOS eight has had encryption and is supposedly unbreakable by Apple. It is not at the same scale yet. It, it's almost like they're promoting the products in a way. But boy, you got to the key. You got to hear this. So Google and Apple used to have the key. Law enforcement could compel companies to unlock phones when necessary. But there's been a change. Apple and Google's latest operating systems have given only the users the key. Encrypted data can only be read by using the password from the user. Now, the Manhattan District Attorney says the police need all these keys too. And he wants to force companies to create phones that law enforcement can unlock or at least cannot be locked. The companies say backdoors can be exploited by hackers, oppressive governments and the like. The Manhattan District Attorney, Cyrus Vance, joined me a few moments ago. And as he put forward his case to stopping Google, stop stopping them. Apple, stop them, encrypting their phones, those evil bastards, he's not changing the rules. So this is actually a pretty good argument. 
the argument here is, look, I'm a judge, or you know, from a judge standpoint, we don't have to make any laws, we don't have to change anything because it's already this way. That's just how they're not interpreting things. If they just interpret things the way I want them to, they have to do it. In the United States, for example, in state court, where I'm the district attorney, 95% of the cases in the, in the country are state court cases. The rules are that we need a neutral judge to determine there is probable cause that on a device, evidence of a crime exists. Those are the rules. I'm not asking for a back door. I'm not asking for a secret key. I'm asking for judges to be able and prosecutors to be able to enforce judge authorized search warrants. So, but the reason why it's you see how he just cuts him off. But and, he, and, he, and his butt has nothing to do with what that guy's about to ask. He is here to deliver a message to make a very clear, concise point, And he even interrupts the host to make sure he gets it out. He's a rude guest. This is all an important issue is that you and I and everybody in the world now lives their life on cell phones. So do the criminals. And what we need to understand as a country is that if you do not provide access at all to these devices, public safety is going to suffer. How much has your argument been strengthened, and I think I know the answer to this even before I've asked the question, by the events of Paris and by Brussels at the moment? I I love this. So, of course, even though we know they didn't use encryption, links are in, I think, last week's episode of Unfilter, uh, we still use that as the argument. In the wake of that attack, how much has your argument been strengthened? In reality, government officials are trying to use, they're trying to capitalize on the tragedy of Paris to move this conversation into the general public. It's not, it's not something that the average people are talking about, but they want it to be. So they are here to do that. That's the purpose of this guy's visit. That's why it's a very concise message. They are trying to portray that this is something the average people care about. It is crap. Now, I want you to listen to this guy as he breaks things down. It, it gets better and better. I think the argument has risen to the public's attention in a way that it had not in the preceding 10 months. Apple and Google. Those of us in law enforcement feel that after the tragedy in Paris, we can finally use that to get people to listen to us. I think the argument has risen to the public's attention mm-hmm. in a way that it had not right. in the preceding 10 months. Apple and Google made the decision in September of 2014 on their own uh, that they were going to change their phones to not be able to be encrypted. And the public, I don't think, really understood the consequence of that decision, not just in rape, robbery and murder, but in crimes where terrorists may be communicating as events, tragic events occur around the world. And we understand that criminals are using cell phones. The public is understanding that the issue of encryption is actually really important for public safety. So I love this theory. You see. If you having you either can have one or the other. You can either have encryption or you can have safety. The implication being that by keeping things encrypted, law enforcement can't keep us all safe. But that is so crazy. Because if the reality is it is things like encryption that enable safety, that enable privacy, that enable people to have some private life that can just keep people's identities safe and their important life things safe and maybe their dick pics. That is what encryption is safety. Here's the problem. And you know this better than anybody. On the one hand, the public says we know you need help fighting the terrorists. But on the other hand. We're damned if we're going to let you into our private lives. Well, this is exactly why uh, it's important that this subject be talked about more openly and with less venom, as it is today. Here's my point. Everybody should respect privacy, and, and I believe we try to, only being able to access devices under certain circumstances. And everybody is entitled to public safety. What happened was that two companies independently decided that they were going to draw the line between privacy and public safety all the way over here. I don't believe, Richard, that two private companies should get to decide the path toward justice for victims. I think this has to be done by the Congress. It has to be done after an airing of the true facts on the issue. Let's back that up. So he doesn't think these two private companies, the people who are making products that the consumers are electing to buy or not buy in the free and open marketplace, because remember, this is the United Effing States of America. His general whole outline here is just so brilliant. I want to play it again. We're going to let you into our private lives. Well, this is exactly why uh, it's important that this subject be talked about more openly 
and with less venom, as it is today. Here's my point. Everybody should respect privacy, and, and I believe we try to, only being able to access devices under certain circumstances. Now, see, the fundamental argument that the technology industry is making is they cannot enable a backdoor that only one type of person can access. Yes, initially, they can spec it that way, they can design, they can design it that way, and they can, they can come up with a compromised solution that works for everybody. The fundamental issue is, three, four, five years down the road, all these people that are walking around with outdated Android devices, guess what? Soon as one person figures out how to access that back door. It's all over the internet in 35 seconds, and the rest of the world knows how to get access to every single device. And everybody is entitled to public safety. See, I think what everybody is entitled to is an expectation of best effort safety. If everybody is entitled to public safety and encryption is preventing public safety, if encryption is so, so, so detrimental to public safety, then we've got to take an honest look at driving cars. We've got to talk about driving cars because public safety, everyone, everyone is entitled to public safety and cars kill tens of thousands of people a year and they pollute the environment, which long term also uh, damages public safety. So if we're going to talk about encryption, it seems only fair that we should probably talk about cars. Oh, and while we're at it, maybe we should talk about flying. Maybe we should talk about alcohol. You get my point. What happened was that two companies independently decided that they were going to draw the line between privacy and public safety all the way over here. Two private companies. Now, that, that sounds, when you put it that way, that sounds like two selfish companies are, are, are putting all of America in harm. Two private companies are acknowledging an important demand by their customer base and acknowledging a major risk factor that is state hacking and they are taking action and and and, and at the end of the day the customers are the ones buying the phones the customers are the one if all of a sudden we felt that encryption the public like this guy says the public is asking if the public really thought it was a big deal they'd stop buying these devices or they'd turn off the encryption how about they just run a campaign for everybody to disable their encryption? If, if it's for our own safety, if I'm worried about that, just let me opt out. I don't believe, Richard, that two private companies should get to decide the path toward justice for victims. I think this has to be done by the Congress. It has to be done after an airing of the true facts on the issue and an intelligent discussion leading to a compromise solution. I'm not suggesting that the public is on the side of the terrorism in this next question. Uh, I, I'm sure you're not. But I am suggesting that as between Apple and Google versus the government and the right for the government to look in, probably many people would say, we have more faith and trust in Apple and Google. Here's the question, and here's the problem. Now, you really think he's going to tell him what the question and the problem is? Or do you think he's going to come up with some bullshit answer that basically skirts around that fairly valid point? I was yesterday in my office with a mother. I was yesterday in my office. With a mother. Yeah, he's not going to answer the guy's question. Of a young woman who was eight months pregnant who was murdered in another state. She went to the door in answering the door. And just before she'd gone to the door, her eight-year-old daughter had seen her mother talking on the phone and texting. The doors opened. She's shot to death. And the eight-month-old fetus dies six days later. The phone falls to the floor. The phone cannot be opened. The phone cannot be opened because Apple has created a phone that can only be opened by the owner or someone who has the code. So how does her texting on her phone before she gets shot, like, is this guy, like, presuming, like, the phone has all of its active sensors and cameras and audio going all the time? And if they only could access the phone, there would be surveillance footage on the phone in VR. What is this guy's point? Now, if people in America understood that cases like that, which are so so obviously cry out. So that guy was in his office with a mother who then was shot in another state where an eight-year-old saw her using the phone and then the eight-month-old infant died. Did you guys, I mean, I don't, not to belabor this, but it was a pretty great. Draw the line between privacy and public safety. It has to be done after. All right, well, I it just, I was, it was so like this guy. Uh, so there you go. They are still banging this drum uh, very loudly. This discussion, they don't want it to go away. Now, while we're talking about uh, in, uh, intelligence collection, I would like to sort of transition to this 
ISIS intelligence altering uh, uh, investigation. I don't know what to call it that Obama launched this week. I don't know if you heard about this, but uh, hello, everybody. Barry is starting a top level investigation into the faulty ISIS reports that they've been getting. And I have a few theories. All right, we take your attention now to the growing investigation into possibly altered U.S. intelligence on ISIS. A source close to Central Command telling Fox News that the pressure on them included at least two emails saying that they needed to, quote, cut it out and, quote, toe the line when it came to their assessment of how things were actually going against ISIS. Were they asked to make it a rosier picture than it really was on the ground? So now you have the Pentagon and two House committees investigating these intelligence reports and whether or not there was pressure to change them, to alter them, to make them present a, a story that was different than the analysis that they were bringing in. So you've got the former head of the Defense Intelligence Agency asking, where was President Obama in all of this? Here's what he said. The focus of this investigation ought to start right at the top. Where intelligence starts and stops is at the White House. The president sets the priorities, and he's the number one customer. So if he's not getting the intelligence that he needs, if he's, if, and if he's not paying attention to what else is going on, then something else is, is wrong there. Joining me now, Indiana Republican Senator Dan Coats. He sits on the Senate Intel. Let's stop there because I want to go a little further, and we don't need to anal- analyze this, these guys' analysis there to get any information. I find this to be um, I find this to be not surprising at all. In fact, this is exactly what I would expect. And I think the analysis that it's because Obama wanted to create a narrative that ISIS and Al Qaeda were on the run during his election is lazy and so off the mark. It might even be intentionally off the mark. In 2012, your agency put out a now declassified report that seems to have predicted the rise of ISIS to power. You said the deteriorating security situation in Iraq and Syria could lead to the declaration of a, quote, Islamic State through union with other terrorist organizations in Iraq and Syria. This is Jake Tapper's way of telling you that in 2012, the administration got a report from the Department of Defense that said an Islamic State through its union with other terrorist organizations in Iraq and Syria will create grave danger in regards to unifying Iraq and the protection of its territory. The White House got a report in 2012 basically saying exactly what was going to happen today. Keep that in mind as we get as we get to my analysis, which will create grave danger in regards to unifying Iraq and the protection of its territory. It was not long after you issued that report yeah. uh, that President Obama referred to ISIS as the JV team. Yeah. Do you feel as though your warnings were ignored? You know, I think that they um did not meet a, a particular narrative that the White House needed. And, I, and I'll be very candid with you. I'll say that is true. I have said and I believe that the people that were around the president, his sort of inner circle that were advising him, I think advised him incorrectly. What was the narrative? Lots the of narrative edits. was that al-Qaeda was on the run and, 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 and bin election, Laden was dead and, and he was... The election narrative. And he, yeah, and they, were, and they were dead and, you know, and these guys are, these guys are uh, you know, we've beaten them. And we knew that. I mean, we've killed more leaders... In the uh, Al Qaeda, ISIS, you know, AQI, you know, Boko Haram, more leaders than we can say, and they continue to just multiply. So we. So let's back this up just a sec. Let's just go back here. Yeah, and they were and they were dead, and you know, and these guys are these guys are uh, you know we've beaten them. So he's talking about Al Qaeda. Now that I do think it's true, Obama did want to say Al Qaeda was on the run during his reelection. The reason why that doesn't hold up as a as a as an explanation for the altering of ISIS intelligence is that altering of ISIS intelligence took place way after Obama's election, after the al-Qaeda stuff. The dates don't match up by even a year. So it's a bullshit analysis. I don't even know where that's coming from. The real reason is obvious if you've been listening to the show for a while. We didn't want to do any damage. We didn't want to stop ISIS. We want Assad out of power, and ISIS is the means to do that. Our allies, this is, here's my theory. My little pet theory is you want to see the difference between uh, when the U.S. overthrows a government and when our Middle East allies try to overthrow a government? I present you Syria, and I present you the Ukraine. The Ukraine is how the U.S. does it when we want to overthrow a government because, damn, we're good, son. We've been doing this shit for a while. And Syria is how our brutal 
awful Middle East partners do it when they want to overthrow a government. I'm looking at you, Turkey. I'm looking at you, Saudi Arabia. I, I, I tell you, Qatar, the, all of these all of these like um, sort of half in, half out countries, they're in the coalition, but yet they're not really in the coalition, are they? No, no, they're not really. They're buying oil. They're supplying the oil tanker trucks. They're training. They're actually opening up the borders and letting the terrorists in. They're the ones that are releasing large herds of refugees at one time, right? All of these bastards are the ones that want the Assad regime down, the worst. And, of course, the United States, we're in with these guys. Sure, we'll help out. And so we get drug along into it. And, of course, I, I, I truly believe if you look at some of the overthrow operations we do, our CIA is way better at this. It's a clean operation. We're in. We get it done. Then you get Victoria Newland out there. She hands out some sandwiches and you call it good. That's how you do a proper overthrow. This, this is Turkey's fault. And this, this analysis that we didn't want to – that we altered the ISIS reports to make things look better is bullshit. We altered the ISIS reports to make it look like there was progress when there was no progress to report. That's why Russia can come in and within a month they've blown up more important targets than we have in an entire year. And we're just finally getting off our ass in a year and actually targeting their oil supplies after this entire time. We knew where they were the entire time. We knew they were they, the civilians were driving them. So this narrative that it was for Obama's election misses the mark. It's because we wanted to create a narrative of progress where none existed, because we don't want to stop ISIS, because we need ISIS to overthrow Assad. And we knew that. I mean, we've killed more leaders in the uh, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, you know, AQI, you know, Boko Haram, more leaders than we can say, and they continue to just multiply. So we we have to get uh, become, we have to get more realistic on what it is that we're facing, and we're not facing a a bunch of criminals. These are not criminals. These are hardcore radical Islamists who have a deeply held belief. They're very well organized. They're very well led, and they very well have armed. A of this world that is- they have great Toyotas. They have American guns, American ammo, and U.S. dollars. They're in a good spot. They're in a good spot. Why don't we keep talking about terrorism for a little bit? And while we're talking about ISIS, it is time to introduce a new character to the cast of the Unfiltered new show. It is a new challenger entering the arena. And an update on the war against ISIS. The White House has just announced it's taking a new step in its anti-terror campaign. President Obama gets a new senior advisor who will focus solely on the fight against ISIS. Robert Malley was previously senior director of the National Security Council. Welcome, Robert Malley. You are now the uh, fallout guy for the failure that is the war on ISIS, sir. We will be watching you closely. For the Middle East, uh, this follows an earlier announcement that the visa waiver program is now being beefed up to deal with refugees entering the U.S. from Syria, including tourists as well. Wolf has the best music, doesn't he? Doesn't he have the best music? So there you go. We now have an ISIS czar. Uh, and, you know, one of the things that uh, we like to do often, even when Mr. Chase isn't here, we do like to follow the money. And while terrorism does cost lives, it also makes a hell of a lot of money. Well, 2015 has proven to be a financial boom for one sector in America that most people don't probably pay any attention to. That's the defense sector. Most may view defense solely as a means to fight, only the military. But fiscal year 2015 has hit a record high for the sector, a whopping nearly $47 billion in sales. That's in reference to arms, jets, aerospace, and other military-related equipment. That is according to the Defense Security Cooperation Agency. Now, the biggest consumers or customers of the U.S. arms are perhaps not surprisingly Saudi Arabia, who in just the last three years alone have purchased more than $100 billion in arms. Saudi, along with several other Mideast nations, with a multitude of pending sales to Iraq. But forecasters anticipate a forthcoming slump. So joining me now to discuss this is... You can watch the rest of that clip in the sink if you want, but I just always think it's kind of interesting to look at the money from time to time. We do check the stocks. Uh, We're going to talk about Turkey shooting down that Russian jet, which I think is really one of the biggest stories uh, since our last Unfilter show. Before we go any further, though, I just want to mention patreon.com slash unfilter is where you go to support this show. And I, I, I really hope that you consider this show sort of your mental vegetables of the week. The news is such crap, and it is so designed to mess with your head. I do not blame you at all for wanting to tune it out. I think it's actually you trying to have a sense of mental health. And as I watch the news, I've, 
I really feel after this week in particular, the unfiltered show is like you're checking. You come here, you you let your unfiltered show cover all of the really important things that happened this week. And if you really want the raw stuff yourself, you can become a five dollar supporter at patreon.com slash unfilter. Get all of the clips without my interruptions, without my reversals. You can watch way more. Like, this is a great week where there's so many more clips than we cover. And there's a big overtime folder as well. You can become a $2 supporter. You get access to the supporter show, which is a much more extended version of the unfilter show. We cover a lot more news. And it's just more a little more laid back as well. And uh, at $5, you get access to everything. Now, through the month of December, we're going to be doing random giveaways as well to unfilter patrons. So as long as you have successful payments that clear, because the swag is kind of expensive, we're going to be sending out some swag through December. So it's got a really good time to become a patron. And as you look at the events that are going on, consider knowing you have, you have a little peace of mind that your unfiltered show is dedicated to you. 432 patrons is who we are loyal to. That's where our loyalties lie. Not an advertiser, not an agenda. It's... And I think what that is when you when you have a show that is really trying to cut through the things that are most important, things that made a dent in the universe that week, basically coming to you with the pitch of you don't have to watch the news. We'll watch it for you and tell you what's really important. So that way you can stay informed on really important things and get the people's version of it. And, you know, you know where our loyalties lie. I think all of that kind of makes sense. I think it's kind of a core reason why we do the crowdfunding for the Unfiltered Show. And you can get in on that and keep us going. And as we raise that, we can raise up the production values. Help our staff a little more. Patreon.com slash unfilter. And thanks to all 432 of you who are supporting the show. Now, let's talk about uh, this whole situation with Turkey and Russia. This will bring you up to a little bit of date if uh, you are behind on the story. Well, the downing of the Russian bomber by Turkish fighter jets in Syrian airspace last week has been dominating world news. Artis Gayanet Chichikian has been following the reaction in the United States. Speaking with the Russian president in Paris, President Obama has reportedly expressed regret over the downing of the Russian plane by Turkey. Does regret mean a condemnation of what Turkey did? Well, I didn't hear that at the State Department this Monday. This was the first briefing after Thanksgiving holidays. I went to ask about the U.S. assessment of what happened with the Russian plane because last week Reuters quoted an unnamed source in the Obama administration saying the U.S. believes the Russian plane was hit inside Syrian airspace after a brief incursion into Turkish airspace. But the State Department official has left out that part of the U.S. assessment and refused to comment further on the incident. What I would note, you know, we support Turkey's right to defend its territory and airspace. Does the U.S. believe that the Russian plane was shut down while in the Syrian airspace? So we believe that the Russian plane violated Turkish airspace. But where was it shut down? I'm going to leave it there. Okay. So the State Department sticks to its line that Turkey had the right to defend its airspace and also refuses to openly confirm that the plane was hit in Syrian airspace. You see, there is a reason why the Obama administration is choosing to make such a statement through an unnamed source. And I was trying to get the reason why, but the State Department official refused to answer. One of the reasons could be that if the U.S. did openly confirm it, then the assertion that Turkey had the right to defend itself would completely fall apart in this case. There you go. Uh, that is actually a, an astute point. Uh, so if you're not fully up to date still, uh, Russia did lose a, a fighter jet. A pilot was killed and they had to get the body back to Russia after a while. It looks like Russia got over the Turkey border a little bit, but was shot down on the Syrian side of the border. And it turns out that's not a very uncommon thing. And that's why Russia was so damn surprised that it happened. In fact, I guess the Russians have a little bit of a rep for doing that from time to time. And uh, this uh, this cut of Obama covers some of his perspective on this very, very unfortunate situation. They are operating very close to a Turkish border, and they are going after uh, moderate opposition that are supported by not only Turkey, but a wide range of countries. And if Russia is directing its energies towards Daesh and ISIL, uh, some of those conflicts or potentials for uh, mistakes or escalation uh, are less likely to occur. Now, one of- snap, snap. Well, if Russia wasn't shooting our guys up by the Turkey border, now why are all our guys near the Turkey border? Now, why are all our guys 
Huh. But of course, with Obama back in Turkey and uh, Turkey being like, what's up? We, we warned them. Hey, we warned them. Putin was pissed. Well, Turkey's president now expressing regret over his country's downing of a Russian warplane and wants to even meet with Russian President Vladimir Putin next week. President Erdogan's overture coming after he vigorously defended Turkey's action and harshly criticized Russia. Putin has announced and denounced the incident as criminal and a treacherous stab in the back. John Huddy has the latest. Now, this stab in the back uh, is uh, obviously uh, not going to go unanswered. So Putin has started to call Turkey out for something that we've all been talking about for a while. Russian President Vladimir Putin has accused Turkey of downing a Russian warplane last week because Turkey wanted to protect the flow of oil from ISIL-controlled territories. What? 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 What was that? I'm sorry. What did Putin say? Turkey was doing what? Oil from ISIL-controlled territories in Iraq and Syria. Turkey said it shot down the plane on November 24th after warning the Russian pilots they were in Turkish airspace. But Russia says the plane did not stray from Syrian airspace. Turkey's long been accused of allowing ISIL to export hundreds of millions of dollars of oil into Turkey. And who are they selling that? Anybody in the chat room know who they're selling that oil to? One of the largest buyers? Who's one of the largest buyers of the illegal oil? So Turkey is buying the oil from ISIS. And here's the best part. This is so well known by the United States government that it is documented. It is documented that some of those trucks wait in line for as long as a month to get oil. A month. They live in their truck for a month waiting to get oil. Can you? We've watched those trucks for so long that we know that truck was parked there for a month and we did nothing about it. Isn't that something? System T actually, I believe, uh, gets a right in the chat room from what I have read. They're selling it to uh, Israel at $20 a barrel. That's what I have read. Is that That's one of the largest buyers. Is Israel is one of the largest buyers of oil from Turkey, and Turkey is getting the oil from ISIS. Isn't that great, everybody? Stray from Syrian airspace. Turkey's long been accused of allowing ISIL to export hundreds of millions of dollars of oil into Turkey, where it's sold on the black market. Speaking at the U.N. Global Climate Conference in Paris Monday, Putin said Turkey's motives were to protect this oil flow. We have just now received additional information. I like that. You know, we just got this information. We just received it. Yeah, bullshit. You've been you've been sitting on this trying to play night, Mr. Nice Guy. And now that they shot down your plane, you're playing hardball. Oh, yeah. We just found out about this. Confirmed, unfortunately, that from the place of the oil production, which is controlled by ISIL and other terrorist organizations, that oil in huge quantities on an industrial scale is being supplied to the territory of Turkey. And we have every reason to believe that the decision on whether to shoot down our plane was dictated by the desire to ensure the safety of these oil supply routes to Turkish territory. Damn, calling it like it is. That's why they shot down Russia's plane. Now, of course, that must be completely false, and that's not getting any play on CNN or Fox News, and nobody's asking Obama about that. And as long as we keep all the journalists quiet, we shouldn't have an issue. What? We're arresting journalists now? Another development we're following, two leading Turkish journalists from the liberal newspaper Cumhuriyet have been placed in custody and are currently awaiting trial after President Erdogan demanded their prosecution for espionage and treason. Could you imagine the president directly is condemning journalists, directly saying arrest, the president is directly saying arrest those journalists. RT's Ilya Petrenka is in Istanbul. They have been escorted from the courtroom, although the uh, prison term has not been announced. And it's feared that that could be decades behind bars or even life imprisonment. Now, what many saw as President Erdogan's personal vendetta against those journalists appears to be carried out. Just to remind you, the trial began uh, after last May. Uh, the newspaper dared to publish what appeared to be photo and video evidence of arms being smuggled through the Turkish-Syrian border. 
video and photo evidence of arms being smuggled through Turkey to ISIS, and now these journalists are in jail by direct order of the president. No, no, nothing going on here. Uh, to some groups inside Syria, to some unknown groups. Now, allegedly, the operation was carried out by members of the MIT, uh, Turkey's uh, intelligence service. Yeah, because they're working with the CIA. Now, uh, it was first reported that the individuals inside the trucks that are seen on this video refused to identify themselves. However, later it turned out that they were MIT members. Uh, We cannot independently verify the authenticity of that video. However, what can be seen inside those trucks is uh, enormous amounts of ammunition, thousands of uh, mortar shells, and also tens of thousands of ammunition rounds. Now, again, just to remind you, shortly after this report came out on Jamuriyat's front page late May, uh, President Erdogan appeared live on TV and accused the journalists of espionage and treason. And also, Ah, uh, the true cry of the oppressor, espionage and treason. That's always kind of a dead giveaway. And Russia is kind of in a tough spot here because obviously Putin is now got to play a little hardball. He's got to out Turkey on a few things. Not that it's really getting him anywhere. But it turns out if you're not familiar with the situation, Turkey and Russia are pretty tight economically. And so Russia now kind of has to dance around the issue and give some kind of punishment without hurting its own economy when things are already a little tough. And so that's the position Putin finds himself in now. Moscow has announced a package of economic sanctions against Turkey over the downing of a Russian warplane on the Syrian border last Tuesday. President Vladimir Putin has signed an order which includes a ban on imports on some Turkish goods, as well as restrictions on Turkish firms operating in Russia. It also calls for an end to charter flights from Russia to Turkey and for Russian travel companies to stop selling holiday packages. Uh, we're looking at uh, restrictions on imports. We don't know what exactly will be impo- what will be restricted yet. We'll find out next week. But uh, Turkish firms will be restricted from doing business here. Turkish workers will be restricted on coming here. In terms of tourism as well, uh, we know that charter flights will certainly stop and that travel agencies are now being told to stop selling holidays to Turkey. Now, that's a a big deal for Turkey because something like four million Russians went to Turkey last year on holiday. Obviously, those people, the Russians as well, will be affected by this measure. But uh, it does seem to stop short of uh, affecting energy politics. Oh, what? Between the two countries. It seems like the gas tap won't be turned off. The oil will continue to flow and scheduled flights between the two countries will continue. That was something which... Which had been discussed whether or not all air transport between the two countries would in fact be stopped. Yeah, so the oil deals aren't going to get impacted by it by the sanctions, but the travel stuff. Four million travelers is probably kind of a big deal. So uh, while we're talking about Putin and we're talking about uh, Syria and all of that, Putin has been uh, having a real great meeting with the president of France. Of course, uh, there's sort of been sort of been this back and forth. Who's France going to get behind? The U.S. and its coalition of a bunch of losers, or? Is it going to join up with Moscow? Now, as we're recording this episode today, the UK voted to bomb Syria. Uh, 397 for it, 223 against it. So now they're getting in the fight. This is a particularly good clip to see visually. So if you're watching the video version, this is a good one for you. If you're a supporter, it's in the sink. The reason why I say that is, so keep in mind, the US wants France to work with us. And of course, it'd be a big win if 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 France got behind the Moscow Moscow's plans to fight ISIS and it would mean perhaps potentially bomb, France might have to bomb some of our guys i'm sure that wouldn't happen but it could get messy so the optics as they say of this scene were a big deal to me as far as the coalition is concerned, President Hollande and I discussed this today. We respect. Now, if you stop right there, the French and Russian presidents standing right next to each other having this press conference, saying they're going to work together and that they think the solution is one big coalition. Of course, their kind of coalition. The coalition set up by the Americans, we're ready to cooperate with it. We consider that it would be better to have a single common 
coalition and to bring all our work together in, under these conditions, make it easier, simpler and more effective and efficient. But if our partners are not ready, if our partners are not ready to work under the auspices of the UN, okay, we are ready ourselves to work in a different format. So Putin's like, let's work together as one coalition through the UN. Russia is in an interesting position because their fight against ISIS has been authorized by their lawmakers, whereas Obama is doing all of this on his own authorization. None of it has been approved by Congress. He's not going through the UN. He formed his own coalition of countries. And you have Putin here, legal authorization from his country. And he's suggesting going through the UN. One which is accessible, acceptable to our partners. A coalition which has been set up, but incidents of the death of our pilot and such an incident has taken place and died in the, the arms of his comrade is absolutely not acceptable. And we start from the premise that that will not be repeated and such mutual action is not needed with any coalition and any partner. I can't quite make what he's saying, but it sounds like he's willing to say as long as it doesn't happen again, then they can work together. And that was the reason for our negotiations with France. We've agreed to how we're going to work together in the near future, including with the coalition overall. Hmm, interesting anyway, something to watch. And it's the optics of, as they say, of Putin and uh, the whole sort of let's work with the UN. Um, that's... That is really interesting, isn't it? And I was talking about how, how Obama continues to ramp up the war, and he's doing it under his own authorization, and yet we're still going to send even more troops now. Hundreds of U.S. special operations and support forces heading to dangerous ground in Iraq and Syria. These special operators will over time be able to conduct raids, free hostages, gather intelligence, and capture ISIL leaders. This force will also be in a position to conduct unilateral operations in Syria. The announcement to send more forces coming after the attacks in Paris. The military will now do more risky missions, such as the Special Operations Hostage Rescue Raid in October, where Master Sergeant Joshua Wheeler was killed in action. We're good at intelligence, we're good at mobility, we're good at surprise, we're, we have the long reach that no one else has. And it puts everybody on notice in uh, Syria that you, you don't know at night who's going to be coming in the window. Uh, can this guy, can you believe this guy is our defense secretary, Ashton Carter? Look at this guy. And that's the sensation that we want all of uh, ISIL's leadership uh, and followers to have. The new force will number just dozens of commandos, but they will have massive backup. Helicopters to get to their targets, rescue forces if they run into trouble. Potentially some 200 troops in all, officials say. All of this as a separate group of 50 special operations forces are to arrive at any time in northern Syria mm. to assist anti-ISIS forces there. In other words, uh, Russia's been bombing some of our guys and now they're in weaker state than ever. And so we're sending in boots on the ground to back them up. The chairman of the Joint Chiefs underscoring the U.S. needs better intelligence. Our effectiveness is in, obviously inextricably linked to the quality of the intelligence we have. And our assessment is that this force and the operations this force will conduct will provide us additional intelligence that will make our operations much more effective. A raid in Does that mean they're going to capture people and torture them? Syria that killed top ISIS operative Abu Sayyaf in May provided an initial trove of intelligence, leading to improved information about ISIS. Two operatives still in the U.S. crosshairs? ISIS's leader, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. Hey, anybody want to do an exercise for me and do, an, uh, do a Google search on uh, Baghdadi there? And uh, I guess I was, I was reading that he, was, uh, he used to be in a U.S. Uh, military prison. He was like a top prisoner, and uh, we let him out. And now he's running ISIS. Kind of an interesting connection. Anybody, anybody mind taking that up while I, while I run the show here? That'd be awesome. I'm curious about that. 
and Abu Muhammad al-Adnani, said to be involved in plotting future attacks in the West. Ooh, a time traveler. That's pretty cool. So there you go. More boots on the ground going to both Iraq and Syria. Hoorah! Why don't we, uh, why don't we lighten the mood a little bit and talk about Hillary Clinton? Huh? Huh? Yeah, yeah. This I don't really follow the whole Hillary Clinton emails things too often in the main show. Sometimes we loop it on the supporter show. But every now and then, eh, something interesting slips through the cracks. The latest release covering a whole range of topics along with reaction to Secretary Clinton's <laughs> Benghazi <laughs> testimony the first time in 2013. You remember that day in December when she said this. The fact is, we had four dead Americans. Was it because of a protest, or was it because of guys out for a walk one night who decided they'd go kill some Americans? What difference at this point does it make? What difference at this point does it make? A phrase heard again and again. But most of her inner circle did virtual high fives after that moment. They said she hit a home run during that testimony, except one political strategist who offered this quick assessment. Quote, I don't think the emotion in the hearing works to your advantage. Looks more like they rattled you. And apparently that smart day sharp reply from Clinton's communications advisor saying, give me a break. You did not look rattled. You looked real, end quote. Chief White House correspondent Ed Henry's been up all night reading thousands of emails. Ed, good morning to you. Good morning. Uh, how do they view this now? Did it backfire? How do they see it? Oh, it back. All right. So that's just kind of interesting. You know, they're digging through it and they're uh, gossiping, gossiping all about all of the really juicy bits here and there. Ooh, ooh, ooh. This is the one I actually thought was interesting. It was about a CNN reporter basically checking in with the State Department and doing what they tell her to do. A reporter from American broadcaster CNN has found herself in the middle of a scandal. Uh-oh. The classified State Department emails show she was receiving orders from a government official. In January 2013, Elise Lobbett was covering a Senate hearing on the U.S. embassy attack in Benghazi. The emails show she coordinated her posts on Twitter with Philip Raines, who was assistant deputy secretary of state at the time. In the email, Raines writes to Labatt about an idea for a tweet. Labatt says she will get back to him and writes several minutes later that the job is done. And here is that tweet that Raines came up with and that Labatt later posted. Now, it quotes Hillary Clinton saying she could have kept it all classified, but that is not her way. That is not who I am. And several hours later, Labatt and Reigns were in touch again. The reporter was apparently double-checking details of Senator Rand Paul's attendance at the inquiry. So that she could claim later in the tweet that he was absent and reject his criticism as irrelevant. She writes, Paul is a little late to the Benghazi game. Author and war correspondent Chris Hedges says... So I thought that was kind of interesting because it shows you how they're just directly communicating with the State Department... And taking tips. Oh, you want me to make that tweet now? You know, it's almost like you can't trust the mainstream media. It's almost like that. Hmm. All right, I got a different kind of high note to take us out this week. This one's a crazy one that producer Matt found that I thought was kind of a fun clip to end the Unfilter show this week. 169 will be back next week and will be live probably around 6 p.m. JB time. But you can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. It might be a little earlier. It might be 5. Kind of depends on production and a few other surprises. So join us at jblive.tv, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Stories and follow-up at unfilter.reddit.com. And don't forget to support at patreon.com slash unfilter. Now I leave you here with uh, this different kind of high note. Finally tonight, afraid of heights, the daredevil behind me taking a leap, breaking records while managing not to break any bones. He's a retired Navy SEAL pushing the limits again to help his fellow veterans. Here's ABC's John Donvan. You're watching a man on a mission, Andy Stumpf, a highly decorated former Navy SEAL now battling in the air. He's wearing a wingsuit. He's a world-class skydiver and instructor, climbing now to more than 36,000 feet, too high to breathe on his own. As he prepares to jump, he makes the mistake of poking his head out, and suddenly the wind grabs him, spinning him around. I knew that I was in for a wild ride. He could have passed out, even died, but he managed to regain control. After I got out of the spin, the flight itself is just visually breathtaking. Stumpf surpassed the world record for absolute distance in a wingsuit, more than 18 and a quarter miles. The best part, he's doing it to raise money. His goal, a million dollars for the Navy SEAL Foundation. It's for the ones who do not make it back. I couldn't imagine making the sacrifices that I've already made. And then at the end of the day, 
not having him to come back to. Despite being seriously wounded, Andy did make it back to his wife, his three kids, but lots of his friends did not. It was a huge help to know that there are people and organizations back here at home that are willing to step in in case something happens to you. Stump served 10 tours of duty in Afghanistan and Iraq. Now he says his fight is to help those still fighting to protect our country. John Donvan, ABC News, Washington. There you go. Kind of a cool story. A little bit different of a type of high note, isn't it? I also want a wingsuit. <laughs> I wonder how hard it is to learn how to fly one of those things, because screw a parachute. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. That would be so awesome. That would be so cool. All right, if you'd like to send us an email, go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact. Don't forget, we'll be giving away swag throughout the month of December. And I happen to know what the swag is for the Unfilter Show. I don't know if I can say yet. I'm waiting to hear from Deboos. But it's pretty cool. It's falling with style. I do. I, it's not flying. It's falling with style. That's right. That's right. Thanks. Shout out to producer Matt for great clips this week. Lots of stuff going on. Shootings. Turkey. Paris attacks. Terrorism. Cyber. 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 Privacy encryption. So many different areas to cover now for the Unfilter show. That's why we need your help. Patreon.com slash Unfilter. You would think with the holidays things would be slowing down, but it seems like everything's speeding up. That turkey, huh? Now, if you know you're here, if you're here live, you can help us title the show. You can bang suggest during the show, and then afterwards, we we'll go to jbtitles.com and we vote on the show title. It's a vote to the death. I mean, it's pretty brutal, so you might not survive. But if you do survive, you move up to the next round. JBLive.tv if you want to get in on that. I think next week would be a good one. I was thinking it was going to be this week would be the one to go to live. I think it was a pretty good live show. I think next week, a little special sauce. We might only have a couple more live shows left in the month of December, too. That could be a thing. So that might be something to, if, you, if you want to make a live show before 2016, jblive.tv. We love having you here. Thank you, everybody, for coming. And don't forget, we'll be back here. Go over to unfilter.reddit.com to submit. Shout out to Mr. Chase. Hope he's doing well. You can say hi to him at, at Nunes. Give him a tip of the hat. Hope you had a great holiday. Thank you for being here. And we'll see you back here next week. Hey!